Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, Jason Staples. Join me as our weekly preview podcast. Greg, I'll start with you first. The news is Carolina's injury list is unprecedented, at least from what I've seen, especially from North Carolina. They've lost additional guys. Tell us about that, and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of how they're going to deal with it against a pretty good Duke team. Well, let's start here. For Saturday's game against Duke, uh, there are 13 players who we know are out. And then there's two other players in Corey Bell and Jalen Dalton who are doubtful. You're, you're probably talking about 15 guys that are not going to be available for UNC. Now, a couple of those guys are walk-ons. But most of them are not. And I think when you, you kind of look at what has happened this week, uh, I mean, we already we were already talking about how bad the injuries situation was before the ADU game. Then they go up to Norfolk, and you see William Sweet get hurt. He is out for the year with a knee injury. You see Thomas Jackson go down. He's out for the year with a knee injury. Uh, Andre Smith did not travel. He is out for the year with a knee injury. Uh, and so we're talking about three key components. I mean, Andre Smith is the the heart of that defense. He's the middle linebacker. He's the he's the vocal uh, piece, not only publicly but within the the ranks. William Sweet is about the only offensive lineman that we didn't talk about during training camp because he was the only guy that could stay healthy. Now he's gone, and then Thomas Jackson, uh, really alongside Austin Pro, has has kind of been a steady presence that wide receiver. Um, you know, he may not be the, the most athletic guy, but he's a heck of a player. He's where he's supposed to be. He's able to make some big plays. Uh, he scored some big touchdowns throughout his career. And so when you le- lose a piece like that, you know, for these, these quarterbacks, both inexperienced and, and young in this offense, that's a challenge. And that's a, a nice piece that you no longer have. So as much as we talked about the 2015 year when North Carolina really avoided injury, that has not been the case this year. And for a team that coming into the season, uh, we talked about, you know, for them to have a really good year, a lot of things have to go their way. And that primarily was talking about injuries, you know, avoiding injuries. That has not happened. So uh, the, the climb just gets steeper, Tommy. Jason, when looking at them, certainly it's debatable which of these are the worst for North Carolina. But let me ask you about replacing a middle linebacker. Andre Smith, like Greg said, the heart of the defense, he goes out. Talk about the importance of the middle linebacker in, in any defense, especially in Carolinas, and how do you replace him? Obviously, Jonathan Smith is going to be that guy. Your take on what the Tar Heels do starting Saturday? Well, it can depend a little bit, depending on how how the defense how the defensive coordinator runs the defense. I mean, some defenses basically have a a defensive quarterback and more often than not in a traditional setup, that's going to be 
So, you know, that's the guy who makes sure that your fronts are correct, make sure that everybody's in alignment, make sure that the proper defensive call is, is in there for everybody and make sure that everybody's in the right place. So, I mean, in that sense, it's, it's an awful lot like losing the quarterback on the offensive side of the ball. There's some differences because obviously the, the Mike linebacker doesn't touch the ball every play, but in terms of getting guys lined up and making sure that people are in the right spots, I mean, that, that's in the way that UNC does it. That's really what Andre Smith was supposed to do. And now, now you have another guy in there to do that. Now, you know, other, other approaches, some, some teams either signal different position groups independently and, you know, work, work a little bit differently. But, you know, with the way UNC does it, that's, uh, that's a huge loss. And, and frankly, I thought Andre Smith in the first couple of games was one of the couple, one of the maybe two or three best performers on the defense. I mean, I thought he'd really taken a, a big step forward in 2017 over what he showed in 2016. I mean, you could see he had really started understanding what they wanted out of him in pass coverage. He was doing a much better job matching routes. You know, there's some hiccups against against Louisville because he was trying to spy Jackson while also covering his his uh, his zone. But uh, overall, I mean, the guy was was fitting really well against the run. I mean, he was he was you could argue the the best player on the front seven, I think, uh, in the, in the, uh, at, at different points during the first couple of weeks. And now that loss is, is, is a really big one. And it's compounded by his role as, as the leader of that defense as well. Jason mentioned Jalen Dalton earlier as doubtful. He's a guy that he limped off the field at ODU at halftime, came back in pads second half, but, but did not play. With him not playing, what happened was Tyler Powell, who was playing in his first game back after that two-game suspension, played at defensive end when Jason Strobridge was at three technique, and then the next possession, Strobridge would sub out, and Powell would just slide down to that three technique. So I think he played pretty much every snap in the second half, rotating between end and and that three technique position. I'm curious, uh, and I think a lot of readers would be curious about this as well, defensive ends Papuchis and, and Deke Adams, they said they really don't care. They don't label it as rush in versus you know, strong in like they've done in the past. But they're very specific on the interior. There's three technique and nose. I mean, Aaron Crawford, Jeremiah Clark are your, your noses, and then Dalton and Strobridge are your three techniques. Is there any flexibility there to avoid Powell having to play both positions? Or are they pretty much stuck with if they want to go with that rotation too deep? Powell's maybe going to have to play inside on Saturday if Dalton can't go, and maybe an Alan Cater has got to come in as that, that fourth defensive end. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the trick there is there should be some flexibility depending on the size of the guy and what, what traits he brings to the table. Generally speaking, with the one technique, you want somebody that can hold up against the double team. Uh, usually those guys are going to be at a little bit on the shorter end, more of the uh, fire hydrant types that can plug things a little bit more. And in the type of defense that North Carolina plays, that three technique is going to be your disruptor. That, that, that guy's got to be the guy to try to force teams to double team him and still be able to split him and get into the backfield. And, you know, if, if Andre Smith wasn't the best player on the, on the front seven in the, first, in the first couple weeks, I'd probably go with Jalen Dalton when he was actually on the field uh, in terms of being the most disruptive. Uh, Carney's also gotten done well as a, as a pass rusher, but, you know, that's two probably of your three best front seven players that that may not be on the field this week and one one gone for the season so that's that's a big deal but getting back to the question you know I would think that 
you know, they might be able to put actually uh, Strobridge in there at that defensive tackle at that three technique spot because he played there during the spring. You know, it, it's possible. I, you know, again that 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 they could rotate some other guys in there. But the the problem is if you have a six one or six two three technique, those guys often don't have the the necessary length to to be disruptive enough on, at that position. So you end up having some difficulties there. But I, I think if they if they were going to do anything. I wouldn't be surprised to see Strobridge end up rotating, flexing back down inside at that three technique if they were gonna if they were gonna have any flexibility because of his past uh, playing that in the spring. Greg, let me ask you. I know you've talked to these defensive staff coaches and all, and we mentioned earlier about you know the middle linebacker does most of the calls on Carolina's defense, and Jason, you can chime in too. Is it possible to switch up midstream and change that approach? You know, I, I don't know how it exactly works, how long it takes to get that implemented. But with Smith out, it becomes Jonathan Smith now. I mean, is it totally on him or is there a way that they can finagle it to take some pressure off of him or it's just throw him in there and he sinks or swims? Well, I think by and large is he sinks or swims. But I will say this, the way they've got this defense set up, while the middle linebacker does call the base plays, when you talk about adjustments, because what what happens is you've got a call that comes in from the sideline. The middle linebacker gets that call. He distributes that call around the entire defense. But then what happens is they look at the offense and whatever formation the offense sets in, then they make their adjustments. And so at that point in time, the middle linebacker is getting help from the back line, the safeties, and he's also getting some help from the guys up front. And so it's not entirely on him from a, an adjustment standpoint. Now, with, with Gene Chizik, you know, he always is like that cover two. Uh, we've talked a lot over the years about you know, his previous preference for, for Tampa two-type defense. That does put a lot of record. But you know, I talked with Miles Dorn, who is Jonathan Smith's roommate, uh, and he said, you know, Jonathan really did a good job last year. You know, they worked a lot on kind of calling the plays to each other to make sure they knew everything. So there's been a lot of communication there. And just because Jonathan may be ex- inexperienced in terms of actual game time, they get a ton of reps. And so it's not like he hasn't prepared for it. Now all of a sudden he's got to learn it real quick. He knows it. Uh, he's just got to be able to make that transition to to full-time play on the field. And there's challenges there. Uh, it's just a matter of kind of getting comfortable with it. Jason, the mis- the reason I ask is, is we've talked about the miscommunication deal with the Louisville in the Louisville ball game, and it sometimes felt like you had three different position groups, or you had the line, the linebackers, and then the defensive backfield all on different pages. So the importance of that, I mean, is it if Smith swing, sinks or swims, Jonathan Smith, I mean. Uh, what can the coaches do in your minds on top of what Greg said to alleviate some of the maybe the miscommunication issues that they had against Louisville that they definitely can't have against a team like Duke? Well, I think the biggest thing is for them to just do what they do. You know, against Louisville, and this is something that Papuchas talked about after that game, they tried to to change some stuff up from the way that they normally call the defense and the, the way that they normally would approach things to account for uh, Lamar Jackson to try to to try to limit him, uh, particularly as a runner, and you know that extra stress is what led to a lot of those issues. So the first thing is you just have to at this point you have to be you, 
And if they're good enough to beat you at what you do best, then you tip your cap and you say, you know, we gave, we, we gave everything we got, but that's a way of reducing a lot of those, of those miscommunications is you make sure that, you know, the stuff is your identity, the stuff that you repped all, all camp, the stuff that you've repped all year, that's the stuff that you run. Uh, And that can include a lot of exotic looks and a lot of different blitz packages and things like that. But it's just, you, you can't change approach which they, they tried to do a little bit against, against Louisville. So I think the, the, the communication stuff should still be improving uh, here. And, and a lot of those, the, the miscommunication, frankly, I think has come more from the, the safety position and in the secondary than it did at the, at the linebacker position. Though, when you're looking at some of the stuff that happened with trying to cover that intermediate zone from the linebacker position while also spying Jackson, that led to some problems. But to me, that was less miscommunication than just basically putting your linebackers in a bind where they had to do two things at once. But again, I think more of the miscommunication has been on the, on the back end rather than in the middle end or, or the front end, though there's been a little bit. I, but again, I think a lot of that can be cleaned up just by making sure that you return to the stuff that you, know, you do best. And, and they did that against ODU. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Jason, kind of looking ahead to, to Duke from a defensive standpoint. You know, we talked about not having Andre Smith potentially not having Jalen Dalton, two key figures up front. Duke's running the ball very well, and they got two good running backs. Sean Wilson's kind of leading the show there. We don't exactly know how good Duke is because played central, yeah, Baylor's a, a dumpster fire at this point in time. I do think Northwestern is a solid team. So they've, they've kind of padded their stats a little bit, but they're still averaging about 240 yards on the ground. That's solid. Uh, so that poses a problem. They ran for about 230 against UNC last year. But where Duke really hurt North Carolina last year is in utilizing Daniel Jones. And just looking at his stats, I mean, his, his last eight against Power 5 opponents, he's completing 63% of his passes, 1,900 yards, 11 touchdowns against three interceptions, and he's rushed for 400 yards and seven touchdowns. I mean, this is a kid who struggled early <laughs> last year, but he's really just kind of elevated his game so when you combine what he can do i know he's not a very elusive guy but he is a good runner when you combine what he can do with what they're doing with wilson uh, and the young kid that's a pretty tough ask for this defensive front seven yeah it really is and to do that without dalton and without andre smith is a serious thing And, and actually i mean smith is is a big loss but in terms of stopping the run there dalton is a huge loss if he can't go that, that really, really hurts because you've got to be able to – what Dalton allows is he, he prevents that extra, extra offensive lineman from being able to get to the second level to block a linebacker because you have to generally make sure you combo block him at that three technique. And that allows you to have a little bit more flexibility as a, as a defense and stopping the run and making sure your run fits are good. If you don't have somebody that can demand that, that's really, really difficult. Again, Jones – I mean, he's no Lamar Jackson as a runner. But he does. I mean, he's got 31 carries on the year. I'm, I'm not sure how many of those are sack yardage, but you know, he he will run the football, and he's he's a a, a solid enough runner that he'll give you some trouble. So again, I, I think 
this is a really, really tough matchup at this at this point in the year uh, in terms of stopping the run and in terms of stopping what Duke does defensively. I mean, I, I just think this is a this is a tough matchup. Jason, from from a more general perspective, David Cutcliffe has has been at Duke for however long now. I mean, he's approaching a decade. How how much does he change his system from year to year? Is it just minor adjustments, or is he is he one of these guys that changes his scheme? solely dependent upon what quarterback he has behind center um I think the the nuts and bolts of what he does stay pretty much the same I mean you can see the same passing concepts that he ran 10 years ago as the base passing concepts that they ran are the same passing concepts that he's running now you know the old Tom Moore depends on what you want to call it but the levels concept for example you know Peyton Manning Tom Moore thing he runs that as much as anybody in the country they'll run that eight times and a half and they still run it a bunch. They'll run, you know, the same pass concepts over and over and over again. But if he gets comfortable with his quarterback, then he'll expand that. That's what really the difference is. There's some stuff that is kind of a, a non-negotiable that you have to be able to do for him. And then as he gets comfortable with you, he'll expand and he'll accommodate to his personnel. The other thing is that they, Duke probably runs one of the more complex and involved run schemes in the conference and and probably in the country, really. I mean, they do a ton of stuff up front and exactly what they do year in, year out may change a little bit, but they do a lot of different stuff. They bring a lot of different blocking schemes that you have to prepare for as a front seven to try to create gaps, get you out of a gap here to create seams and create space. And that's just been what he's always done. And so, you know, I guess the best way to put it is that Cutcliffe has a very flexible offense that has a clear core and has his own philosophical center to it but he's going to work off of that clear core off of that you know that central area to accommodate and work with with what he's able to do with his quarterback or what he's got at running back what he's got at receiver to add some wrinkles here take away some wrinkles that won't work anymore so it's a it's a flexible approach but it is the same offense it's the same stuff that he's been doing from the beginning, just with a few tweaks here and there, depending on who's under center or what he's got at different spots. Jason, let's flip to Carolina's offense. Can't really complain too much about how Chas Surratt has played, how the offense in general has performed. They've put up some points. But now they're going into facing a Duke defense that whose numbers are great, and we'll get into those in a minute. But speaking of just doing what you do, how does the loss of Thomas Jackson Uh, do you think affect Carolina's offense? I don't think they'll do anything differently, but without Jackson, you're missing a sure guy that always seemed to make a big play when it mattered. Yeah, all you have to do is go back to any of the big games that Carolina's won the last couple of years. And one of the things that you'll see in common in every one of those games is Thomas Jackson made a game-changing play somewhere, whether that's a a couple key third down uh, catches whether that's a uh, a big play up the sideline for a long touchdown, you know, he you know, catching a a key, you know, tough touchdown over the middle. There's a lot of times where that guy's just happened to he just happens to make plays. And so, you know, knowing that you have that guy that you can go to in some of those spots is a big deal. And now all of a sudden he's gone and you're again depending on somebody who's maybe not as reliable and not as not as sure to be in the right spot, not not necessarily going to make that big play 
Now, I will say getting Toe Groves back, if he's he's actually on the field, and it looks like uh, from what I, what I can tell, he will be. You can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but getting Toe Groves back would certainly help alleviate some of that pain because you know what I saw of Groves in the spring, he's a player now. But yeah, it hurts. And uh, and again, uh, that that Carolina offense, it's not like they've got a bunch of seniors <laughs> having having an, a, you know another guy out there with a little bit of experience that you can count on. That matters, you know, a lot more for an offense led by a redshirt freshman with all sorts of new faces everywhere. Having one more face that you don't have to be, you don't have to make sure that he's in the right spot. That helps. And you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, Jackson's not going to be there the rest of the year. All right, so with Jackson out, Togros may or may not be on the field. How much he plays, we'll, we'll have to see. But do you move a guy like Austin Pro back into the slot? You know, Early in the season, people mentioned that. Then he had a pretty good game or a great game against Louisville, and he's played well. Do you do anything with him maybe that you haven't done thus far this season? Well, that gets tricky. I mean, I think – I think the short answer, you know, if, I, if I'm looking at it from the outside in, yeah, you know, he's a he's a really really good slot receiver. But then it comes down to, you know, what have you what have, what did you promise this kid earlier in the year? You know, what did you tell him? I mean, I don't know, uh, but it's it's you know, sometimes you you talk to a guy and you say, no, we're going to give you the shot to be the outside guy. You're gonna we're going to give you a shot to show that you can play outside. And now all of a sudden, you know, you have to go back to him and say. Well, you know, we're going to need you inside, and maybe that's a conversation that, uh, you know, depending on what you promise, could be a, could be a factor. But I think long term, you have to put him in the slot some. You you just do. Uh, and again, you know, Jordan Cunningham's played pretty well the last couple of weeks. Uh, they've got some other guys that can that can play on the outside. They got a couple guys. I mean, again, Groves can play on the inside. Roscoe Johnson can play on the inside. Daz Newsom's played well. You know they can put some of those those guys in there at slot, but there there are certain certain times when I think you know the best solution is going to be to put Austin Prohl inside because of what he can do as a route runner, particularly on third down and some of those things running some of that stuff that Jackson was doing to make sure that they get key first downs to make sure that you know you can't just match up you're not going to match up a linebacker or just some you know random nickel corner on Austin Prohl and cover him. In, in, in a third down and six situation, he's going to get open. You know, the guy knows how to get open. And so you need that. And there are times where they're going to need to move him back in there just to get that because they're not going to be able to get that. I don't think with some of the younger guys who aren't quite as developed as, as Prohl, who might be the best route runner in the country. Jason, I know we're both, both stats guys, but this time of year, stats can be a little bit deceiving. Case in point <laughs> is, is Duke. Uh, they've got the number seven ranked defense in the country, number one ranked rushing defense. They're top 20 in pass efficiency defense, top 25 in scoring defense. So statistically, they look really good defensively. Now, uh, I think we can all agree that give it another couple weeks and those numbers are going to fall for sure. But how much so kind of is yet to be determined. So from your vantage point, let's say, let's say Duke is legit on defense. Let's say they really are good against the pass, against the rush, everything. What's what's the key area for North Carolina to focus on and try to exploit as an offense? Uh, we all know that Larry Fedora is going to take what the defense gives him. But what do you see as kind of the strengths for North Carolina, and where do you think they can maybe attack this, this Duke defense? 
This is an interesting one because, you know, Duke has built their their defense this year on being able to limit team's success rate. You know, basically, they've really sold out to make sure that you can't run the ball consistently on them and that you're going to have some trouble executing in, in the short and intermediate pass areas. They're basically going to force you to beat them with a few big plays. They, they've been vulnerable to some big plays. So they're going to force you to try to beat them with explosive plays. They're, they're going to try to to get a bunch of stuffs, get you behind the chains, play aggressive, and basically say, can, if you can beat us over the top, if you can, if you can get big plays, then, then you'll beat us. And if you look at it, this is what you get. They are 129th in the country in preventing explosive plays. So they've given up 25 gains of 10-plus yards. So that's 21st. That's not too bad. But four of those 25 have gone for 40-plus, and three have gone for 70-plus. So they've given up three 70-plus yard plays in three games. And that's including a game against NC Central and a Baylor offense that's really been putrid in addition. So they've given up some really long plays. To me, if you're going to beat this Duke team, you need to find a way to make sure you scheme up some shot plays and put yourself in a position where you can get some, you can create some of those big plays. The downside here is that, that Carolina has so far really depended on being able to run the football. And Duke right now is stopping for, almost 40% of rushes at or behind the line, which is first in the country uh, in terms of uh, how often they're limiting that kind of run, uh, run play. So, you know, I think if you're going to look at one thing to see how things bode for North Carolina early on. If UNC is able to run the football with any success against Duke early, they got a real good shot to win the game. Because, you know, Carol, like I said, Duke so far has depended on stopping almost 40% of runs at or behind the line of scrimmage, which then allows them to play with great defensive leverage. And if, if Carolina is able to, to, to turn that table a little bit, then, you know, we saw a couple of years ago, Duke's weakness in terms of some of the athletic weaknesses in the secondary of, of being able to get receivers behind him. And Carolina doesn't have Mac Hollins anymore. Ryan Switzer isn't walking through that door either, but there's still some, some, some speed on that offense. And then, you know, the question is, can they get into positions where they're able to take some shots and, and get over the top? So that to me is the direction that Carolina is going to have to go. Okay, guys, uh, we've discussed the offensive approach. We've discussed the defensive approach. Uh, we've discussed injuries. So now it's time to get to the portion of the show where you guys have to make picks. <laughs> uh, we've, let's see, if my memory serves, we are all two and one on the season. Yep. And so, Greg, I'm going to put you on the spot first. Give us your take on this ball game, Carolina's Second ACC game of the year, first game in the Coastal Division, your pick for Carolina and Duke. Tommy, when you consider North Carolina's injury report, when they've got 13 guys out for this game, maybe even as many as 15, and you look at Duke's injury report where they have one guy out for this game, that kind of tells you the, the fortunes of these two teams early in the year. I think Duke is a lot better than people thought they would be coming into the season. Maybe not as good as their stat show right now, but I think Duke is the favorite for a reason in this game. I think this is going to be a tough one for North Carolina to win, even though it is at home. 
So I've got Duke winning this one 35-31. Jason, your take. Greg's got it a high-scoring game, and I hope you don't have the same score, at least the same numbers. I'm in the same ballpark yet again. It's a good thing you gave, you gave Greg a chance to go first this week. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, just to echo that, if you look at the injury reports, that's going to say a lot. You know, it's it would be one thing if we're talking about Clemson, where they, they might be able to go through 10 or, 10 or 12 players on the injury report. But even if it was Clemson, I mean, that would really, really make them, you know, that would really impact them massively. It, it just does everybody. And so, you know, when you look at that injury report difference, it's really hard to see how Carolina, how, how anybody's going to pick Carolina in this game. I, can, I think that, that there's a way that they could win. Again, you know, you get a few big plays and, and things come out fine. But frankly, when I saw the, uh, the line come out for this, this game earlier this week, I was surprised that it was as low as it is, which tells me that some of the people who are odds makers in this think that Carolina should have a good shot at winning this game uh, because I think most of the money should be coming in on Duke for anybody that, that knows, what they're, knows what they're doing here. That said, I, I actually still think that, this, that Duke wins the game. I just can't get over some of the, the issues in terms of Duke's going to try to come in and run the ball down Carolina's throat and a couple of Carolina's most important run-stopping defenders are either out or questionable for this game. And that a lot of things come back to that. I, I've got Duke winning 38-27. to uh, to 27. All right, boys, good stuff. Um, I'm going to save my pick for the WCHL Inside Carolina Tailgate Show on tomorrow at the Carolina Club. Greg, I'll see you there. Jason, I'll talk to you again on Sunday. That'll do it for this one. Jason, thanks for fighting through the sickness. Greg, thanks for joining me as always. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.